I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. there's one topic that has been ever-present in the field of public relations since I started working in the industry during the very early 2000s, is the thorny issue of measurement. Back then, we routinely reported circulation figures and the thankfully now defunct AVE, and we didn't really question what those meant or if there was a better way of demonstrating business impact. It was probably only when I moved away from pure PR and then ran my own e-commerce company between 2006 and 2009 that I really started to question whether public relations and specifically media relations had much demonstrable value. And as website analytics improved and then social media came to the fore, the explosion in available data seemed to shine an unwelcome light on the PR industry. It was slow to react. Even when I left my last agency job in 2014, having been banging the drum for better measurement for several years, the industry was still clinging on to metrics like AVE and struggling to prove its worth. Thankfully, and even if very slowly, things have changed in the last few years. And on today's show, I'm talking to Richard Benson, co-founder of reporting tool Nectarine, which recently ran a study on how measurement has changed and what KPIs PR people are now evaluating. Richard was originally from a technology background, but found himself working in a PR agency, describing himself as the digital guy, who was brought in when things started to change. He says he knew nothing whatsoever about PR, and was lucky to work with a team who took him under their wing. He slowly learned what PR is and how it works, but coming from a tech background, he looked at things differently, and would often question why things like reporting took as long as it did. Nectarine, which was then called Released, was originally conceived as an online press release tool to streamline the process of sending huge emails full of links and attachments. He says it was a good idea, but not a great subscription business, because big media sell-ins don't happen that often. So it sat in the corner unused. Because of the way we built the tool, some of our clients, who are a lot smarter than we were, started using it for other things. One of those things was for, for kind of coverage reports. So we slowly pivoted. Richard says that while he loved his time in the agency world, he always had his eye on running a software as a service business and release gave him that opportunity. That pivot to analytics and reporting was what made the tool. The need for better ways of showcasing not just coverage, but all of your PR activity back to clients or execs is huge and ubiquitous across freelancers, agencies and in-house teams. The business was recently rebranded from release to Nectarine because, as Richard explains to me, it was completely rebuilt from the ground up. The market has changed so much in terms of what activity both agencies and in-house teams are doing that a simple coverage reporting tool is a thing of the past. Nectarine is designed to reflect core KPIs and measure against those across activities and activations. As part of the relaunch, Richard and his team carried out a research project investigating the metrics that PR professionals are now measuring. Whilst we were rebuilding the tool, we came across the realisation that we might be sitting on a potential goldmine of information because one of the unique things about our specific tool is that it's our clients who are PR freelancers, agencies and in-house teams across the world, all different sizes, sectors, who have complete control over branding, the layout, the content, but also 
of the KPIs that they add. So we don't prescribe a bunch of charts and graphs. They actually can create them themselves very easily, literally down to, okay, I want this number. I want to describe it like this. There's this icon. So the thought we had was, okay, well, since 2015, we're looking at 1.5 million pieces of content being added to over 100,000 reports. And in amongst those reports, you've got nearly half a million of these KPIs. Okay. So we thought, wouldn't it be interesting to find out if there's a gap between how the industry is meant to be evaluating its work and how it's actually evaluating its work behind closed doors and also to see how things have changed over time. So in terms of like how the industry is meant to be evaluating its work, to be honest, we just looked at AMEC. You know, they've obviously got the measurement framework backed up by the Barcelona principles, taxonomies, events, loads of information. So that was the easy bit. Let's go, well, here's, broadly speaking, here's how we're meant to be doing things. Well, let's lift the lid on our own database and look at how, obviously, anonymously, people in the wild are actually evaluating their work and see if there's a gap between the two. That was the concept. And what did you find when you lifted that lid? Huge gap, Paul. Huge gap. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) In some areas, in fairness, you know. So. Our methodology was that we went through the different stages of the um, integrated measurement framework. Some of them aren't relevant to reporting, you know, for example, inputs, but the rest of them, so you're looking at activities, outputs, outtakes, outcomes, and impacts, are all things that our clients can actually include in these reports. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we, we kind of walked through each one and looked at how things were done in 2015, which is the year after we launched how things are being done now, and also how does that relate back to what Amex says that the industry should be doing. And what were the major, I mean, the major talking points from that report and the major things you uncovered? So things get progressively weaker as you progress along the the steps of the, the framework. And what I mean by that in English is there's some kind of low hanging fruit in terms of KPIs that everyone's using. As you get more towards the kind of outcome impact side of things, which is how how audiences are impacted and how business and society is impacted, even though that's the bit that that everyone is kind of focusing on and saying we've got got to get better on, it's also the hardest bit. And again, I'm only reporting what our clients are doing. That's the bit where we really struggle to find a lot of yeah a lot of data in that point. But we kind of picked out what. What people are doing and and it's it it was really interesting to see how people are are trying to to make inroads in those areas and it, did you find that there is a lack of uh a lack of substance at the end part or is it that there's a lack of knowing even where to start if you see what i mean we identified the reports where these kinds of metrics had been included and i've got some live examples so examples of you know, these kind of outcome or impact kind of KPIs that we found would be, you know, MQL, so marketing qualified leads delivered to a sales team was one. Webinars, webinar registrants who had opted in to be marketed to is arguably one. And again, another challenge was that the boundaries are quite um, hazy in some places between these categories. Yeah, We had new partners being onboarded. One, one good one was Footfall. So there was like a pop-up okay. shop and it was purely PR and social driven, which was rare. You've got reviews of a product that were being being kind of promoted by the PR agency. Um, another clear one was like an amount raised for charity. So 
what we did is wherever possible, we actually spoke to the clients who had posted these these kind of outcome impact based KPIs to to learn a bit more about how they were able to do that. And actually, okay. we found out that there were three three kind of commonalities. In other words, three things that need to be in place for you to be able to effectively measure these these types of outcomes and impacts. And kind of makes sense when you think about it. Um, first was what we call awareness. So the all parties involved, so that would be if there was an agency, the agency, and also the client and their execs, understood how PR worked and what it could and couldn't do. That was the first one. Because if one of the key parties doesn't understand how PR works, then it's really hard to kind of effectively set good KPIs and measure them throughout the process. Yeah. The second we called AIMS, so this was where realistic and measurable targets had been set, as in things that are, that can be realistically achieved. So for example, I remember in our agency days, one of our clients who was a, a smaller business asked their their target to us was to get on the front page of the sun every week. Right. Which shows <laughs> a lack of awareness and totally unrealistic game. So that yeah. everyone probably listening to us has experienced the same thing. That kind of would rule out the ability to effectively set and measure these objectives. So however, if if everyone's aware what PR can do and you set as a as a team realistic trackable goals, then it's possible. And the third one, which is really where most most of these things fell down, was access. So you need access to the right people and you need access to the right tools. So the people might be the sales team. The tools might be Google Analytics, Salesforce, you know, other CRMs, etc. Which is why when we broke down, we, we chopped up the data here in various ways. And the most interesting way we found was when we looked at the reports that were created for enterprise versus SME and individuals. And we looked at, okay, four reports that were created for those three groups, what percentage included one or more outcome or impact? So for enterprise, it was 9%. SME was 16%. And individuals was about 1% or 2%. Okay. So what we found, what our hypothesis was, and this was backed up from our conversations was, if your client is an SME or you're working in an SME, you have the highest probability of having access to the people and the tools that you need. Yep. Because yep. you know the people. Mm-hmm. Enterprise, the dip, is due to silos, as in people not sharing information readily. Mm-hmm security and privacy concerns. Okay, well, imagine you're the IT security department in a big corporate and part of your business has just onboarded a PR agency. Are you going to give them access to your your tools? Highly unlikely. The third one is politics as well. And actually, I've just thought of a fourth one whilst I've been talking, which is probably those kinds of organizations doing loads and loads of different types of activity. And it's just harder yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what what is your experience on that front, Paul? I would agree with pretty much everything you said there, to be honest. I mean, if I think about the clients, again, this goes back to agency days, not so much now. But if I think about the different clients I worked with over the years I worked for agencies, yes, the bigger enterprise agencies did have those silos and it was difficult finding information and yes, I would run up against the the privacy issue as well, the security issue of 
people not wanting to give you access to Google Analytics and stuff, you know, and, you, and you're just sitting there thinking, well, why? Mm. But I, I've I've seen it. I've 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 um you know I've experienced all that. I can understand also when you say about the SME side, it makes sense to me why that figure would be higher. I guess what I'm surprised about overall, though, is that all of those results are low. You know, nine percent for enterprise, sixteen percent for SMEs. Are they're low results to to be to be effectively? This is the stuff that actually matters isn't it <laughs> it's it's the outcome stuff at the end of the day and and it maybe it goes to show that pr still doesn't really have a grip on that is that is that what the the top line of of your study suggested yeah that was the, by far the, the the most obvious finding that we yeah. came across we had lots of other interesting stuff it was kind of all leading up to this like yeah i'm sure if you asked amec or whomever you know and, and indeed if you read what they say you know all of the other metrics should be leading up to a conclusion yeah. like this. And they've, they've worked really hard to to extend those. And, and they've also, not just them, but the communities work really hard to say, no, look, you can measure these things. But what we were actually doing here is lifting the lid and saying, okay, out of you know, the tens of thousands of reports that were created in the last 10, 12 months, the truth is that it's not really making the, the jump to the people actually at the coalface yeah, quite yeah. yet. Um, but I, but the other thing I forgot to mention is when we looked at, at 2015, I mean, it was almost negligible. So there has been progress. Oh, okay. I, I was just going to ask you, yes, yeah, so, so what was the difference over those? It's effectively a six-year period, isn't it? Yeah, there was virtually nothing in this area. Right. It, it was it was not, not even worth reporting, and it was less than 1%. Reports. Okay. Well, I mean, that in itself is encouraging, because even though I might say, well, actually, they're still low figures, if there was nothing six years ago, then then maybe that is significant in that case. I think so. Yeah, I think we're moving in the right direction. That was one of our main findings. It's like if you if you measure progress in all all the categories, like mm. the, you know, we looked at outtakes and outcomes and activities as well, which we can talk about. But yeah. they're all going in the right direction. What what sort of things are people measuring? I mean, has has that is that changed over the last six years as well? Yeah, that's another major thing. I would say that the the two areas where things have changed most would be activities which would be the stuff that's done before the content reaches its audience right. and outtakes, which I can talk about in a moment. And also AVE, I've got something on AVE if you want to okay. talk about that later. But I'd say out activities was clearly the, the, the area that has changed the most. I would say that um, in 2015, 19% of reports created uh, included one or more activity-based KPI. In the last 12 months, that was 77%. Right. And when we looked at the types of activities that people are reporting on these days, it was interesting. So you've got webinars being confirmed, you know, awards being entered, press releases being sent out, samples shared, that's a big one, and you know, blog posts being written, I could go on, there are tons of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually the pandemic, what we saw there was webinars, virtual events, podcasts, ironically, becoming more commonplace as mm -hmm. agencies that used to do experiential and events looked to shift that part of the business. And that that's obviously huge for the PR industry events side of things. What it clearly showed is the diversification of the industry over the last six years or so. So I think as you know, back in 2015, we're still thinking in terms of predominantly 
you know, we do media relations and we're trying to branch out. I think that's where we were as an industry. Yeah. Now it has absolutely exploded. So again, 77% of reports mentioning those kinds of activities. And I think it's testament to how healthy the industry is and how well it's weathered the turbulence over the past few years that, you know, it could have gone one or two ways. Yes. PR could have kind of died as an industry and been seen as, you know, a relic. Mm-hmm. But what's actually happened is they've owned more and more of the social space. They're excellent content creators, prolific at organizing events. And I think that's that's one, one, one thing that's really promising and set to continue. Did the data show much specifically from the last sort of 18 months or is that getting a bit too granular? I'm just interested because, you know, everything changed 18 months ago, everything. And... On this podcast, in fact, I, I ran some shows about how PR would or would not survive everything that was about to change, and clearly it has. I just wondered if your data showed anything sort of that granular. You know, it was really hard to... to we have this huge data set, and we had to pick very carefully how we delved into it. But I can tell you anecdotally, because we obviously speak to hundreds of PR people... Yeah use our tool over the year the feedback we got was that coverage was harder to come by yeah as in things have just kind of gone into hibernation yeah a little bit and not just people being furloughed but you know agencies and teams being furloughed we had yeah some of our clients in certain industries where the entire pr and comms team was furloughed yeah and has been significantly cut down so i I can't speak in great detail because obviously I'm no longer a PR professional. Mm. But anecdotally, I think that's one area where where things um, things were pared down a little bit. But I think that's again from our conversations that that seems to be over a little bit. Yeah, things are getting back to normal again. I don't know what your experiences are with that, Paul. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. My impression is again, you know, as someone who's not that close to PR anymore, but my impression is that certainly in the agency world, it, there's a lot of recovery going on. And I think that's great. That's fantastic. Podcast analysis has always been a major problem for marketers with outreach efforts reliant on dubious download numbers and a lot of guesswork. Until now, Podchaser Pro is a new service that solves the problem for podcasters and marketers alike. I caught up with co-founder Cole Raven, We've built this new product around audience sizes so that as like a PR agency or a marketing agency, you can use this tool to really understand how many listeners every podcast gets. And then we provide contact information on top of that. We understand how many people are listening to a podcast, how far they get into each episode, in some cases, demographic data. You can't find that anywhere else. Check it out at podchaserpro.com forward slash digital download. You mentioned um, AVE there, which yeah. everyone's ears tweak up when, when you when you say that. What did you find around AVE then? Yeah. They tweak up or they go to sleep. We found one of the two. <laughs> I can't, you know, because we're still talking about it. I mean, we couldn't not uh, we couldn't not look into this because you know it, it's an obvious yeah. pariah in the PR industry. <laughs> and um, so I'll cut to the chase. Basically, in 2015. 18%, so that's nearly one in five reports, contained AVE. Yeah. In the last 12 months, that number was, a bit of a drum roll, 6%. So okay. you know, in 2017, 
AMIC came out, AMIC and PRCA came out with that campaign to kill off AVE, and they're still banging that drum, rightfully so. But the fact is that it's not dead. It's nearly mm. dead, but um, it's not. And in fact, last week I was speaking to an agency and they said all of their clients insist on on using AVE. So the the thing, the other thing we did is we actually cut it up. So we said, okay, well, is there a difference between reports created by agencies and reports created by in-house teams? Okay. Yep. And there was. There was a significant difference. So first of all, let's zoom in. We're zooming into reports that did include AVE. So we're not mm-hmm. talking about the ones that didn't. If you zoom into those, a third of those reports were created by agencies and two-thirds in-house teams. Okay. And I think based on, again, on many conversations I've had over the years, including sitting down with people and creating their reports with them and all the other stuff. It's not really the PR people who need to be educated here. They all know what the problem is. It's the recipients of these reports who demand some kind of monetary figure to be put on PR. And it's usually people who are not so PR savvy. And that is why you see that spike in-house. So you've got these poor in-house comms teams who are doing brilliant work, all different types of activity. And they may have a board of directors, for example, who are distant from it, don't really understand what PR does, and they are asking for AVE. So that's why I think it's kind of here, I wouldn't say to stay, but it's not going away anytime soon. But at least, as you can see from the 18% versus 6%, uh, it's going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with that, obviously. I think that's 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 a big improvement, a massive improvement. Yeah. You know, I sit here with my cynical head on and go, wow, 6% are still using it. But your explanation does make sense. I, I think you can always throw this around and say, well, it's up to those people who are being maybe forced to... Uh, to, to produce that number to, to push back on it. But then, you know, if you're employed within a company and they're insisting, what do you do? Do you leave the company? You know, it's 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 not that simple, is it? No, and they do push back. They do, uh, you know, full credit. But sometimes, as you say, you've got to feed your family. And mm. so, you know, if that's the situation, and they're not just reporting on AVE, they're, they're using a range of other metrics as well. But yeah. what When you looked at, the, the scope of the reports that are being produced then. I'm assuming there must be a massive, massive variance between some very in-depth, numbers-heavy, f- full reports and some very sort of light-touch, top-line metrics. Is there a commonality between those of certain things that most people report on? I would say this outtakes are a good example of this so this is evidence that a content has reached its audience yeah and this has gone a bit nuts over the past few years so back in 2015 you're looking at you know reach opportunities to see circulation for print coverage really basic social metrics yeah now as you know the the number of apis tools and services that provide data has gone through the roof. Yeah, yeah. So part of the process of rebuilding our tool included the ability to provide a raft of automated outtake metrics. So outtakes is the step before impacts and outcomes. So they're really popular because they're like a proxy for that. They're as close as you can get. Yes. You know, okay, well, someone's seen our work and they're actually engaging with it. 
this is this is good, right? That, that's kind of the, what we're talking about here. So the the ability to provide these metrics is optional, so our clients can switch it on and off. And ninety something like ninety four percent of clients switch these metrics on. I think there's a big hunger for them. Yeah. Um, types of metrics we're talking about here is the ability to add a link to a piece of coverage and get over 20 different metrics, including things like how many people have actually viewed that specific article, right. an estimate of that. Something we've introduced, which I haven't seen anywhere else actually, not to pat ourselves on the back, but is um, the concept of the fact that, you, you know when people view a piece of coverage on a website, for example, well, if, if an article has been shared, people are also gonna be seeing that coverage as they scroll through their social feeds. Yes. That is valuable attention that the PR industry is winning for its clients should be talked about and measured. And also this whole area of dark social. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much you've talked about this before in your podcast, but it's huge. So most, the vast majority of stories these days are shared to WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger and other dark right. social channels. So yep. we as an industry need to be measuring this. So we uh, reached out to a company called Get Social who have a dark social tracking technology, worked with them to basically estimate, just based on a URL, how many people are, uh, and this was also done with SimilarWeb as well, how many people are viewing a piece of coverage on a website, but also as they scroll through their social feeds and also within dark social. So that has been really helpful, as well as the ability to plug into the different social platforms and get live data in terms of how people are sharing their work. Uh, An example would be, Facebook now provide Facebook, essentially they call it reaction, but it's sentiment. So again, you pop in a link, you can get information about the website. So reach, unique visits, average time on the website, which is a really good indicator of the quality of the website. Yeah, You get all these metrics about how people are viewing that specific article and where they're viewing it. And then all of these metrics around how people are engaging with it and put that together for, for a PR person, that's really powerful. Mm. So when you take a step back, in 2015, 87% of reports included one or more of these outtake metrics, but they were very basic. Yeah, yeah. Now in the last 12 months, it's slightly higher at 94%, but they're much, much richer and more powerful and detailed. And I think that's that's only going to improve in future as these other services and and algorithms, for example, become more, more popular and more accurate. I think that is, that is really good to hear, actually, in terms of, you know, taking a far more deep dive on... on effectively content metrics but so you know you're putting content out there and not just saying okay well here's a here's a reach figure but actually using proper analytics data i think that's a really positive thing to see because my impression maybe it is going back six or seven years but things like google analytics weren't used that much by pr companies whereas now i think it's a it's not a given by any stretch, but it's it's um, it's far more common. So people are understanding that there's far more to it. And, you know, you've obviously teamed up, I, I assume, with a lot of different suppliers to pull this information into one platform. Yep. So I'd say we use similar web for the website data. And also we did a one-off project with them where we gave them tens of thousands of genuine coverage URLs. And they gave us back article level data, which they've never done before. And we right. use that to build an algorithm that predicts using that data, but also lots of other data as well. 
a rough estimate of how many people will read a piece of coverage. Mm-hmm. And also we use, uh, as I mentioned, Get Social, who are great, and BuzzSumo as well. So right. it's a combination of different platforms plus our own, you know, algorithms that, that produce it. And, you know, a lot of other providers are doing hard work in this area too. Yeah. It, it's interesting as well to me that, so there are obviously these these different levels of metrics and, and you go up this chain and you reach a point where, Getting that end business result is difficult. Any Anyone who works in PR understands that it's difficult. And often you are left in a position where, I, I think you, you cited an example there where you had a campaign that was purely PR and social driven. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that that's the case because of, you know, often there's advertising going on and, and all sorts of things going on. Yeah. Do you see people measuring up to a point of saying, right, these are the... The, the, those sort of proxies you were talking about mm. and then trying to draw a correlation between those those proxy measures and a business result or is it a case of well we can get so far on the measurement ladder mm-hmm. and we get to these proxy measures but we we can't then make quite make that jump into the business result do you see evidence of of people trying to do that i think one of the problems that the industry faces is thinking that the proxy metrics are business outcomes. Right. Okay. Okay. Maybe kind of leaving it there. Yeah. And I think that I can completely understand that. Like, I, again, I used to work in, in PR and it's really, really hard to get those final metrics. Mm. But I think there's a difference between saying, okay, well, this is as far as we can get. Let's see what this says. And the other flip side, which isn't as desirable, which is saying these are actually outcomes. For example, you know, um, we've got X number of shares of this piece of content. That's a business outcome. Right. Which isn't quite a business outcome. No, no, no. No, no, absolutely. Like if if you can say then, you know, the sales team have said, you know, they they talk to everyone that does a demo of our product or sell, you know, buys a product. And, you know, 19% of them said that they'd, they'd read this piece of content. That is then linking it. But you know, you go round around in circles because that's the really hard bit to actually do. I think also you've got to look at the briefs as well, the PR briefs. Yeah. What are those PR briefs asking? So if they're saying, you know, we, we want to create this this piece of thought leadership and, and our target is for this to be downloaded a hundred times, then the PR consultant could argue that they fulfilled the brief by saying it has been downloaded a hundred times. So there's two sides to the argument, I think, there. Yeah, yeah. All part. That's, it goes back to what I said at the beginning. All parties have to be aware of what PR can do, set realistic aims, and then be able to access the tools and people to track those those aims for that to happen. So, having done this project, then are you left with a broadly positive viewpoint on the future of the way things are being measured and the sort of KPIs that we might use in the future? Hundred percent, without a doubt. Yeah, I think if you, you have to compare it to where we've come from and the paucity of metrics back in 2015 compared to now. And so now there's kind of, not no excuse, but there's, there's uh, especially given the, you know, the cost of these tools, there's less of an excuse not to at least have excellent outtake-based metrics. Yeah. And as we've seen in terms of outcomes and impacts, it is going in the right direction, albeit slowly. 
the other thing as well is I think just from a business point of view, that the more stuff the industry is doing, the more services it offers, we haven't even talked about like the peso side of things, the paid side of things, etc. The, the better it is in terms of employment and resource and influence and budgets, etc. So I'm very optimistic about the future. To find out more from Richard, look him up on LinkedIn. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.